Good morning. My name is Jonah Yahasu, and I'll be reading Matthew 5, 1-12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people... People insult you, persecute you, and falsely say things, uh, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is a reward in heaven. For in the same way, you they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Welcome again to all of you who have gathered here in this sanctuary, all of you who are gathered online. It's a joy to be worshiping together with you on this day. A few notes before I begin the sermon this morning. I wanted to let you know that Pastor Camille Pook is not with us this weekend. She is on vacation, and what that means is that she's delivering her son, Caleb, to Biola University, where he's going to start as a freshman very soon. So we're excited about that. They have two of their kids at Biola now, and so uh, it's an eventful week, but an emotional week. So I want you to be praying for Pastor Camille and for John as they move through this experience of launching another one into that new world of being at university. And then also want to let you know about Marky Barrett, who's been a part of this church for years and years and years. Uh, Marky's health is not very good at this time. Uh, he is on uh, palliative care up at a uh, Swedish hospital up in Edmond, so we need to keep uh, Marky in our prayers along with his son Mark and uh, Mark's wife Jill as they move through this season uh, in Marky's life. Marky was foundational in launching one of our adult Sunday school classes here at this church years and years ago called the Home Builders. And so he's been a vital part of this congregation for so many years. So let's keep him in prayer uh, during this uh, moment in his life. And let's do that now. Why don't we pray together? Lord God, we give you thanks for the opportunity to gather together this morning. And we're thankful thankful for witnesses like Marky and how he continues to live out your faithful call in the world. We pray for your grace to be upon his entire family in this season of his life. We pray also for Pastor Camille as she's away this Sunday. Bless her and be with her and John as they drop Caleb off and give them safe travels as they return home. For us, gathered in this time of worship, whether it be online or whether it be here in the space, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak and move in our midst by the power and grace of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So uh, you may know that my last name is Brown, right? And Brown is also a color, but it's also my name. But it's also a color, but it's also my name. And so you can imagine how confused I was as a very young person, especially when I was in kindergarten, and I was so fascinated by all of the crayons in the classroom that had my name on them. And so I made it a practice of collecting all those crayons that had my name on them because obviously, since they had my name, they belonged to me. 
That's what happens to you when you're an adopted-only child growing up. You're spoiled rotten, and so you assume anything that says brown on it belongs to you. And so whenever we had to do a coloring assignment in kindergarten, like color a tree trunk or something like that, there were no brown crayons to be found because I had all of them. And so there was a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth from all the children looking for a brown crayon to color a tree. And you can imagine the weeping and gnashing of teeth when the teacher ascertained that I was the one that had all the brown crayons and they were so cruelly taken from me. In that moment, when all the brown crayons were taken from me, I felt like the victim. When in fact, I wasn't the victim at all, was I? I was what we call the violator. You see, that that line between victim and violator sometimes gets a little fuzzy to us, doesn't it? It oftentimes depends on what side of the equation we're on. And so today, as a part of this message, I'm going to invite you not into a world of black and white, of victim and violator. I am going to invite you into a definitive shade of gray. I'm going to invite you into a, a space that really isn't going to resolve much. And if you leave this place today or you leave this experience online feeling like you're carrying more questions than you had when you came in, then the mission of this particular sermon will be accomplished. What we're hoping to do today is hold some important questions, not necessarily resolve any of them. The beatitude before us today is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. And Jesus says this, Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're continuing in a series of messages called Waymakers. And this series of messages is about following the God of promise, that the Beatitudes or these statements of blessing by Jesus in Matthew's gospel can help us make a way in our lives. They can illumine a path for us as we begin with this first of these statements that says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We move through all of those statements of Jesus arriving at this, the final one. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for my name's sake or for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you might remember, you've seen this word righteous before. If you've been participating in a series of messages, we talked about righteousness a few weeks ago. And you might remember this one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? For they shall be satisfied. And you might remember that that word for righteousness in its original Greek language in which Matthew's gospel is written is a word dikaiosune, and that word for righteousness also means justice. You can translate that word either way. And so you could just as easily translate today's verse, blessed are those who have been persecuted for justice sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is important space for us to get into. Because in this day and age in which we live with such ferocious anger and polarization and embitteredness that exists within our culture, everyone wants to be the victim. But nobody's the violator. And so everyone is claiming the space of being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. I'm being afflicted. I'm being called out. Maybe Jesus has something for us here that we can think and wrestle with, that we can consider and hold as we wonder what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' 
sake. There's a great story in the Bible about this. It's in Acts chapter 7. I'm going to invite Cindy Strong to come read it. And as she does, I want to show you a question that I'd like you to consider before we hear this text read. I'm going to put it up on the screen. What does it mean to suffer persecution? What perspective have on how we see suffering? And you see suffering one way when you're the victim. You see it a different way when you're the violator. So these are questions for us to wonder about and hold as we hear the story of the first Christian martyr. His name is Stephen, and the story of his martyrdom is recorded in Acts chapter 7. Cindy, please. The reading is from Acts chapter 7, 54 through 60, which is on page uh, 1334 in the Common English Bible found in your pew. Hear the word of the Lord. Once the council members heard these words, they were enraged and began to grind their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, enabled by the Holy Spirit, stared into heaven and saw God's majesty and Jesus standing at God's right side. He exclaimed, look, I can see heaven on display and the human one standing at God's right side. At this they shrieked and covered their ears Together they charged at him, threw him out of the city, and began to stone him. The witnesses placed their coats in the care of a young man named Saul. As they battered him with stones, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, accept my life. Falling to his knees, he shouted, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Then he died. The word of the Lord. You can imagine Pastor Stephanie and I talking over the last few weeks about how we were going to find a video to show during the kids' camp moment that goes with the story. Needless to say, none exist. This is a, a brutal story. It's a, a story of murder and martyrdom of Stephen. In the earliest days of the church, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ultimately his ascension, the disciples had gathered together and the day of Pentecost eventually came and the church began to grow significantly in number. It was growing exponentially. It was growing so fast that the, the 12 disciples who were then called apostles couldn't hold all of the work that needed to be done. And so they recruited seven other individuals to assist them. They were called deacons and Stephen is one of those seven. Now Stephen was tremendously articulate. He was excellent at the art of argument. And so Acts tells us the story about how Stephen would go into the temple square and in Jerusalem and he would preach and teach about Jesus. He would even argue with the religious leaders. Well, one day the religious leaders had had about enough of Stephen and so they arrested him and they accused him of preaching or saying something that he actually had never said. Some sort of blasphemous statement, if you will. So he's hauled before the religious council. It's called the Sanhedrin. It's the same council that condemned Jesus to die and handed him over to Pontius Pilate. The very same group of people that did that are now standing with Stephen who are accusing him of undermining the entire Jewish tradition. And so Stephen hears the charges against him and he decides that his response is not going to be to rebut the accusations that are brought against him. 
Instead, Stephen decides to tell a story of the Bible from Abraham all the way through the prophets. So he basically retells the entire history of the Bible in his speech. And as he retells the story, he tells it from the lens of how God selected people in that period of time to bring forth truth or revelation or to speak to the people, and how the people constantly resisted that word. That whether it was Moses or whether it was Abraham or whether it was David or whether it was a prophet, there was always some form of resistance to the new movement of God in their midst. And so the passage that Cindy read a moment ago is what the response of the council is after Stephen speaks. So you might wonder, what got them so upset that they would run him out of town and stone him? Well, let me read the passage of Scripture slightly before the passage Cindy read to you so you can understand why they were a little bent out of shape. This is Acts chapter 7, beginning at verse 51. We'll put it up on the screen. Stephen concludes his remarks with, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Strong words, huh? Is it any wonder that the very next verse that Cindy read is, now when they heard this, they were infuriated and they began gnashing their teeth at him. You see how the story plays out. Stephen speaks a word that they don't want to hear. And that word, well, is the truth. And so what they do is they pick Stephen up and uh, they, they take him out of the city. And when they take him out of the city, they take him out of this gate. We're going to show you a picture of it. This is called St. Stephen's Gate. It's one of the seven ancient gates in the city of Jerusalem. It's also called the Lion's Gate. Um, I took this picture, or my friend Jan took it, um, when we were in the Holy Land about five or six years ago. And there are not many places you can go into in the Holy Land where we know with 100% certainty that you're standing on the spot where something happened in the Bible, the exact location. This is one of those places. So when you're standing there, you're standing at the exact place where Stephen was put to death by stoning. Now, uh, I could spend a lot of time talking about stoning, but we're not. It's a ritual of execution, and one stone gets thrown at a time. So it's not a, bunch, a mob throwing rocks all at the same time. It's one rock at a time with a certain hierarchy of one person to the next that each throw a stone. It's a brutal, brutal way to be put to death. Hmm. What can we learn about Stephen? Because he really is what this beatitude in some ways is talking about. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me put a question to all of us. How does the thought of losing affect our idea of suffering? And does Stephen ever act or sound like a victim? It's such an interesting text. Now, we're not talking here about suffering 
as in some incidental form of medical suffering or some tribulation or struggle you're going through in your life. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the kind of suffering that happens because of some spiritual, ethical, or moral choice that you have made that then engenders some kind of suffering. And so if you've ever been criticized for forgiving someone, that's a thimbleful of this. If you've ever been criticized for being too compassionate, that's a thimbleful of this. If you've ever been uh, criticized for being a softy, this is a thimbleful of that. Those are the minor ways in which this occurs. And then Stephen is the most acute way in which this occurs. So there are some things I think we can learn from this rich story of Stephen and what Jesus is telling us about how we're blessed even in the midst of persecution and suffering. And so here's the first. That we have to affirm a consistency grounded in trust. Consistency grounded in trust. Here's a fascinating thing that happens to Stephen. Is that the the speech Stephen gives in front of the council that resulted in his stoning is very much congruous with what Stephen said in his public preaching. So there's not a lot of difference between what Stephen argued for in public and what he argued for in private with the council. That's consistency. Now the temptation here, like for many of us, is to react in that kind of a moment. So when somebody criticizes or calls you on the carpet is to react. And there's two different ways we react sometimes. Reaction number one is to demure and to spin and to tell people, we didn't really say what you thought we said. And so the self-preservation or survival instinct kicks in where Stephen goes, all right, well, if I push this thing, they're going to kill me. So I'm actually going to work this in a way that's not going to get me in as much trouble. That's one way he could react. The other way he could react is become completely unhinged. He could become completely unhinged. And instead, he follows a consistent pattern. He speaks directly to the people he's talking to, but he follows a consistent pattern in what he does. That's how he practices integrity. He's not a different person under pressure than he was when he wasn't under pressure. So think for a moment about those moments in our life where we've been called on the carpet for something we've done, when we've been criticized about it. How do we respond in that situation? What do we do? Do we try to spin and make it go a little easier, or do we overreact and sometimes make it worse instead of making it better? Consistency is what we're after. And consistency is hard to do because it's a a long game for us. It's not a short game. And our culture and our society reward the short game. If you're vociferous and toxic in your speech on Facebook or social media, you get immediate reactions from people. Like, 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 love, 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 thumbs down, thumbs down, thumbs down. We have conditioned ourselves to look for immediate gain instead of the long gain. Consistency is how you win the long game. My favorite blogger you may know is Seth Godin, and he writes this about consistency. Godin says, The culture is changing far more rapidly than it ever has before. 
and yet it changes slowly enough for us to grow impatient when important ideas and practices around health, justice, and community are ignored, and yet it changes. Persistent and consistent effort with focus is our only way forward. So enough about consistency grounded in trust. Let's go to number two. Justice causes friction. Everyone put your hands together. Excellent. Now rub them as fast as you can. See, right now you all look like Mr. Miyagi. If you know my Karate Kid reference, you'll get it. Okay, are your hands warm? Are they getting warmer? That's friction. Friction causes heat. Friction causes heat. So justice, or the call for justice, in in Stephen's case, is going to create friction. And there's a reason it creates friction, because because those who seek justice, those who are looking for righteousness, those who are longing to live into a new day, they're always questioning the status quo. The status quo is powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful, it's become the status quo. The status quo is the power and a system and the authorities and structures that work in a way to ensure that which is. It's always in a defensive posture. And so the religious council Stephen goes before is in that posture. Their job is to preserve the status quo. He's questioning it. Here's how you can tell if your status quo is healthy or not. If your status quo, which isn't always bad to be the status quo, if it's healthy, it knows how to accept and entertain questions. But if it reacts with condemnation, if it reacts immediately with punitive measures and punishment, how dare you question us? Your status quo is broken. That's how you know. You see, the status quo when it's healthy welcomes this. So if the status quo in Stephen's day was healthy, Stephen shows up, preaches about Jesus, and they would have a dialogue about it. They would be open to each other. But instead, what does the council do? Do you remember, you hear the story? They covered their ears so they wouldn't hear him and they began shouting. Have you ever experienced a toddler do this? La, 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 I don't hear you, I don't... It's exactly what they did. So their closeness of heart on the inside became real on the outside. Remember, Jesus talks about this a lot. It's not what you put into the body that makes it unholy. It's what comes out of it. So out of their heart comes their lack of openness, and it eventually reveals itself literally right in front of them. They close their ears. Justice causes friction. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. Yeah. In a room full of religious scholars who had the highest respect for the Jewish law, Stephen or the council? Stephen does in every way, and it ultimately leads to his own death. There's a third way we can know that we suffer well. View the oppressor through grace. View the oppressor through grace. See, part of the work is to here see oppression or persecution or those who represent the status quo in an unhealthy way 
is to perceive and to understand that they're doing that out of an expression of brokenness. And so there's a sense of sympathy that comes with the fact that people who are alienating, who are punishing, who are punitive, they do so out of the sense of their own brokenness. So that doesn't mean that we let go what they do, but it simply recognizes that they are in need of transformation. And so we, we see the oppressor as in need. Now, friends, I'm not suggesting the Stockholm Syndrome here where you begin to sympathize with your captor. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm recognizing and what I think we need to hear in this story is that as we experience the friction of righteousness and justice in the world, as that happens, we need to remember that those on the other end of the equation are just as deserving and as sacred as we are. What does Philip say as they stone him to death? What are his last words? Do you remember from the text we read? Having said this, he fell asleep. Right before that, he says, Lord, do not hold this against them. Stephen embodies this notion of the oppressor through grace. And what happens to us in moments of conflict when we experience so-called persecution, it's easy to vilify the other. It's easy to look at the other and to say, you're less human than I am. You're less important than I am. You're so wrong that you're inferior to me. Number four. Number four. The disclaimer. Consistency is not enablement. This is very important that you hear this piece In this very same sermon that Jesus preaches in Matthew 5, he says, do not cast your pearls before swine and do not give that which is holy unto the dogs. There's a difference between confronting issues of justice and righteousness and then being persecuted for it than enabling the bad behavior of other people. Those are different things. Enabling the bad behavior of other people It sounds like the situation in your life where maybe you're suffering some kind of abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, and instead of exiting yourself from that situation for healing, you just keep going back for more. That's enabling the abuser. It's allowing them to continue their pattern of brokenness, afflicting pain on other people. That's not what this is about. There's an old axiom, what you allow is what will continue. True. What you allow is what will continue. Here are some questions to wonder about. We'll put them up on the screen. Where is steady consistency needed in your life today? What might it cost you? And pray about that cost each day, this week. Friends, this is a hard space to be in. And many of us have been in this struggle as of late. Shall I name a few? There are some within the Christian community in the United States that claim they're more persecuted as a religious community than ever. Perhaps they should read Acts 7. There are those within the world that believe they're the victims of injustice only because their privilege is being taken away from them. Victim, violator. 
Do the crayons have my name on them, or do the crayons belong to others? You see, this is complex work, isn't it? And so it would be rather arrogant, at least for me as the preacher, to say, guess what? In 25 minutes, I have the answer. What I would suggest is that um, our task is to begin asking the right questions. It's not getting answers easily. This is hard work. Knowing when you're suffering is legitimate or its enablement is hard. Knowing if your cause is just is hard. Trusting God with your consistency is hard. I'll invite you to remember something. While Stephen was being killed, the people, before they picked up their stones, they took their outer robe off and they laid them at the feet of the person who organized the stoning. And the person who organized the stoning that day was a young religious leader named Saul. And Acts 7 says he was standing there overseeing the execution. That young religious leader is the one you heard about in the video that Pastor Stephanie shared with all the kids and with all of you. Saul was the man standing there who was in charge of Stephen's execution. That same Saul was so bloodthirsty, he went off and he asked the same religious leaders that condemned Stephen to die to give him letters to go to Damascus to find more Christians. And on his way to Damascus, guess what happened? You saw the cartoon, you know what happened, right? What is one of the great ironies of the New Testament is that Stephen was known for his articulate argument, for his mastery of the Jewish tradition, for his capacity to argue for the faith, and he's put to death. And the one responsible for putting him to death takes his place as the master theologian, the master argumentor, the person whose rhetorical skills are unrivaled, becomes the greatest champion of the Christian faith. Never count anyone out even those that hoard brown crayons. Friction. Friction. Are you suffering well? Stephen might help us find the way. If you are, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You may notice that takes you right back to poverty. Did you notice that? The same promise for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven, is the very same as the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. More on that next week. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for, God, just a challenging, challenging issue for us to think about. So, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak and move in us this week. These are big things to wrestle with. They have implications for our life, for our community, our society, and our world. It's not easy. But God, we know that you'll lead us faithfully, consistently, that we might be righteous and justice makers. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.